Episode 67 of Doc Fermento Discovers the World. I'm Brian, and we have with us... Uh, I'm John Johnson. (laughs) And you are from... You are representing... (laughs) I'm representing Rising Star Coffee in Cleveland, Ohio, where I am the director of Coffee Equality, if that's a real title. Okay, you just made it up, but it's a real title. I think that's my real title. I'm not actually sure. I don't really... Yeah. Is that an industry standard title? Like, is, do uh, places have that title? Yeah, there's all sorts of different titles. There's like, you know, like director of coffee, quality control manager, you know, green right. buyer. Basically, I, I buy the green coffee, so that means I go down to like coffee farms and taste coffee and then buy it. And I figure out how we are going to roast it and what we want it to taste like once we get it back here. Uh, and then I do all the training, so... I, I, I was telling someone it's kind of like being a chef. Like, I don't get to cook, but I tell everybody else how I want the food cooked. You can scream at people. And I, and I set the menu. Yeah, I set the menu. I scream at people. Yeah. <laughs> I walk around, I just make dirty dishes and leave them for other people to clean up. You're the you know? Frank of my shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just kidding. I guess that's, I guess that's true. <laughs> uh, so, I've done a few podcasts about coffee, and I've always said I've been looking for a coffee guru. Oh like, yeah, to really do a coffee conversation <laughs> with, for real. Like okay. I've been on a search for two years. Whoa, a coffee guy, but I didn't necessarily want to contact anyone from the what are they, the SCAA? Yeah, something. I didn't necessarily want an official voice. I wanted uh-huh. someone in the world, the business world of coffee, that actually oh. not someone an insider. Bring, yeah, I don't want the industry but not an standards, official voice. specifications, yeah. right? And and so. I wanted to explain one thing about me. I took a hiatus. The show's been off the air for seven months. The reason is I started a new espresso bar tea lounge called Coffee Proper Extraordinary Tea. And we couldn't have done it without you. Oh, thanks, man. You actually, I mean, (laughs) I have never made, I've never been a barista. I've never pulled an espresso shot in my life until (laughs) August 2013. And you you showed me how. Thanks. Taught me milk steaming, espresso, yeah. and all that. Brewing. And to be use your coffee. Yeah. Almost exclusively. Use one yeah. other guy. Um, <clears throat> and so I wanted to cover what coffee is. Okay. Um, proof, in fact, that it is a fermented food product. <laughs> it totally is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, just what, what, what the hell is coffee in... Because I really have trouble in our shop selling specialty coffee drinks when most people just want a fucking black cup of coffee for one dollar. Yeah. And they they just cannot believe <laughs> that a coffee's three dollars and it's not already made. Yeah. We don't make it until they actually place the order. Ugh. It takes approximately three minutes, you know, to take the order. Yeah. Two and a half minutes to to brew it to up. brew a cup. And we use what's called the pour-over technique. Mm-hmm. We use a Hario V60 with the uh, standard paper filters. And we use your coffee. Yeah. And I was really shocked to see how many coffees you offer. It's really extensive. We offer a lot. All around the world. Yeah. Yeah. We're lucky because we're still small enough that, you know, we can buy coffee for two months and have it for two months and then offer something else, you know. We can buy coffee for two weeks, you know. Um, so, yeah, we're lucky that we have this kind of, like, flexibility. We're not, like, a big, like, a place like, you know, counterculture. They 
they need a lot of coffee. You know, I mean, they they have a pretty big offering list too. But <clears throat> you see this actually out on the West Coast a lot. A lot of like West Coast roasters will have four coffees that they offer. Um, and I think there's something to be said for that. Like, ideally, I would love to be able to like pair our coffee down and just have it be really focused. Mm-hmm. But our wholesale business, you know, they want like our customers want different coffees. Yeah. Um, so I'm lucky I can buy instead of having to you know buy enough coffee to supply like you know 300 wholesale accounts I can buy like six bags of coffee and we can go through it in a month six bags are these are green beans these are big 75 pound burlap Um, sacks looking things yeah well like 50 to 75 kilos you know so they're, they're it's usually like anywhere from you know uh some we get some really nice coffees that we'll get in like thirty pound bags. Most of them are going to be like around a hundred to one hundred and twenty pounds. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I Do mean, you have to enter collectives in order to get the coffee, or can you call a coffee farm and get it direct shipped to you? How does that work? Like, well, I mean, getting something directly shipped to you from a coffee farm is like a crazy logistical nightmare. Um, so basically, like, the way that we work, and this is a really common direct trade model. Uh, direct trade is kind of like an industry buzzword, and it doesn't actually really have a meaning other than you're talking to the farmer. Um, but basically what we'll do is we'll go sample coffee at a farm, talk to an importer. We work with a couple different importers. They'll put our coffee on it. Once we buy it and negotiate a price with the farmer, they'll put our coffee in a container and then ship that coffee to us, well, to a warehouse, and then yeah. we'll get it from the warehouse yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. have it shipped to us. Yeah. So the supply chain is still kind of, you know, it's difficult. It's international supply. I mean, you need yeah. to, there's a lot of risk involved. I mean, you need people on the ground in different countries who are trustworthy and you know, if someone puts like a bag of, you know, a brick of cocaine in your coffee bag, mm-hmm. whoever's importing it is on the hook. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's yeah. like, it's yeah, something it, that only the biggest companies and, import And that's the themselves. funny thing about coffee is that it, it is in from drug yeah. regions because the coca. The coca and the coffee grow. Same place. Yeah, exactly. Same yeah. place. So. Except I don't think Ethiopia so much and that's the birthplace of coffee that's, that's where all I, coffee comes that's from that's what yeah. I want to cover so yeah. coffee is from Ethiopia yes this yeah. both beans there's two different beans or tell me the story there there are hundreds of different no, I mean, beans I know there's many but coffees like, the yeah. typical definitions is uh, robusta arabica and robusta uh, yeah um, and, and there are more I mean there are so many more right. and coffee is weird because um, it really hasn't been scientifically studied the way that other beverages have like wine or beer or even tea so i mean every every like week there's almost like a, a, a new report on like oh we just found 30 more varietals of coffee cherries but yeah. the two big ones are robusta and arabica okay uh and yeah coffee started in in ethiopia and has been just taken around the world um so it's interesting, you get all these varietal mutations because you'll have, you essentially had just, you know, like a handful maybe of varietals in Ethiopia, and now they're all over the world mutating and crossbreeding and splicing and um, and just making, you know, many wonderful new mm-hmm. crazy, crazy varietals that are still being discovered, and, so. And what is the status of Ethiopian coffee today? Is it still like the coffee or? <laughs> I think so. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Ethiopian coffee. I mean, we offer four 
African coffees right now, and all four of them are Ethiopians. Okay. Um, Even though Kenyan is the hot coffee this year. Kenyan's always... all I hear about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kenyan's always a hot coffee. I just... I don't... I personally think that there are a lot of great Kenyan coffees, but there are so many amazing Ethiopian coffees. And Ethiopia is so much different in the way that, like, Kenya, there's a lot of big kind of factory farms, a lot of pesticides. Mm. Ethiopia, it's almost like hyper-local. I mean, it's like really like just people with really tiny lots that take their coffee to processing mills and just sell it for whatever they can get. And then yeah. that coffee is processed together and and shipped to the U.S. These are people just literally picking. Yeah, like picking, picking their like back beans yeah. out of the trees in their backyards. And cherries, stuff, you know? I should say. Yeah, they're cherries. not picking beans, they're picking the cherries, <laughs> right. They're picking cherries. So I let's guess cover that. Accurate. So let's cover what coffee actually is. It's, well, a, it's a cherry, yeah. It's a little tree. It's the seed of a cherry. Yeah, and it's yeah. a double seed. It is, uh-huh. Typically, unless it's pea berry. Right, unless it's pea berry, which is a mutation, just one okay. little bean. Um, and they look like kind of like kidney bean shaped, because they yeah. go together as one flat side uh-huh. and a round. And then... These coffees are picked when, say, they're ripe, I guess. Right. Which would be red <laughs> or whatever. Red. Yeah, red, heading towards purple, purpley. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the thing about coffee is there's no standardization. So what farmers in Ethiopia consider ripe, farmers in Nicaragua might consider overripe or underripe. Hmm. So it just depends on, like, where you are. Um, I was just in Guatemala, and down there, um, a, a lot of the farms I was visiting... Um, are kind of, like, managed um, by this guy, Luis Pedro uh, Zamalaya, who works at a place called Bella Vista, um, Beneficio Bella Vista. They're a big processor. So what he does is he goes to little farmers in the Antigua region of Guatemala and helps them improve their coffee and then processes it for them and helps them to sell it. Um, And, you know, where where, where are we going with this? I can't remember now. We're talking about the fruit. The fruit. Then these little... Well, so there's this weird thing. They're, we call it coffee beans, but they're mm. actually... They're actually seeds. seeds. Yeah. They're not beans. Right. Um, yeah. That, I guess some someone told me a long time ago, and I've read this in a couple of books, that the British, um, who were originally interested in buying coffee from Ethiopia, um, when they heard the Ethiopian word for seed, it sounded like the English word bean. Okay. And they just assumed that they were buying beans. Okay. And so the name has just stuck. stuck. But yeah. it's really not accurate at all. I mean, they are, they're roasted seeds. Okay. <laughs> but coffee seed sounds weird. And in here, there'd be like cherry pits, basically. Yeah, kind of. I mean, you know, I don't know. Does Is a pit a seed? I mean, can mm-hmm. you, yeah, it is? Yeah, so what, it's that's totally what it is. I mean, it's, That's his purpose. Yeah. To go back to the ground. and Right. And that's why, you know, ultimately you can get such crazy good flavor is because... It's a seed. It's got it's storing nutrients, you know, and it's yeah. it's really chemically seeds, complex. Seeds are the magic element of of uh, of nature. They're mm-hmm. they're amazingly complex. Yeah, I don't believe um, for the most part humans should eat seeds. Yeah, I think we should eat plants. Uh-huh. But I don't I don't like the seed eating. <laughs> but I do like brewing them. <laughs> yeah, and I've had a lot of fun. So I think. We need to go. These they're picking these cherries. Mm-hmm. Then this is the crucial step: is the fermentation process. Yeah, because that's the first thing that's going to be done, right? 
Well, it it depends again. Okay. <laughs> it will be done. It will be. Coffee will be fermented. Okay. Um, I mean, it's actually fermenting. Usually it's it ferments on the tree um, before it's even picked. Um, but so basically you have this cherry and you have to get inside. You have to get the seed out. But there's, you know, there's the husk, which is called the cascara, which is the actual cherry. And then underneath that you have... Um, it's basically you have the mucilage, which is like this thin mucus membrane, mm-hmm. and that is coating the seed, and you have to get that off the seed. And really, the only way to get that off the seed is through some means of fermentation. Yeah, it's the only way to get it completely off. You can wash it, um, but it's it's still going to have some kind of like mucilage. Yeah, on it, it needs some type of rotting. Exactly, a controlled rot. A basically. controlled rot. Yeah. So, I guess I could just walk through, like, you know, the the standard kind of, like, procedure. Well, we could say, like, in Ethiopia, they don't have, um, I'm guessing, huge uh, access to water. Right. So, they do a dry process or a natural process. A natural, yeah. Also, sometimes called an African process. Okay. Um, well, I mean, that's the standard, though, is washed. And okay. that's that's what... Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about washed first, okay. I think. Cause Go ahead. Washed is where, I mean, you get basically big fermentation tanks. Well, okay, so what happens is you have a farm, um, and you hire a bunch of usually, like, actual peasants mm-hmm. to pick your coffee cherries. Yeah. And every day they take their bag of coffee cherries to a mill. And the mill is where the processing is going to happen. These aren't normally on each farm. There's a central... <laughs> the bigger farms all have their own mills, but, like, so, uh, Luis Pedro's Beneficio is processing these cherries. So they would yeah. put them in a truck, drive them to Luis Pedro's place, and get them processed there. And processing is just the act of removing the seed from the mucilage. This is in a water... Well, so, yeah, so a wash process, they're going to uh, take these cherries, dump them into a density sorter. Uh, that usually involves a lot of water. So usually what they're looking to do is get the densest cherries to sink to the bottom. Those are going to go into a, a, a deep pulper that strips the, the cascara, the husk, off the cherry. And then um, the seed is going to come out the deep pulper and go straight into a fermentation tank. Um, and that's just a big square, like bath you know it's just mm-hmm. a huge square like pit and um it's gonna sit in there like any amount of time you could imagine yeah. <laughs> i mean like there's no standard time yeah, like, really yeah. is that wild i mean literally like yeah. coffee farmers just say oh yeah it's done like okay. they'll, you know yeah. you'll see some farms where like, like a whole the coffee's in there yeah. right i mean the coffee's in there and it is fermented and yeah. like the smell knocks you over and it's brown and disgusting, and you're like, man, that is really fermented. You're saying it smelled like a it smells like kombucha a, yeah, bottle, yeah, right? A coffee farm smells like a com- a coffee mill, I should coffee say. It smells yeah. like a smells like a com- a bottle of kombucha. Really, it's just vinegar. It's fermenty. Yeah. It's just like n- like almost knocks you over. So this is this is truly a bacterial and. Um, Yeast yeah. and fungal and whatever exi- is existing, whatever exists in that working. tank in that environment. Yeah. I mean, you can, you know, you can tell a good quality farm by how clean they keep their fermentation tanks. Yeah, you know, and I was going to say this. This would show the key to how important a pesticide, insecticide-free uh, growing process. How yeah. important that would be because you need all the fungus present, all mm-hmm. the living bacteria, all the, you know the. The whole microbiome needs to be in place from everything, mm. 
in order to get proper uh, results because you need symbiosis. You need a mm-hmm. balance for fermentation. Yeah. You can't have isolated. So, oh, that's kind of cool. It is really interesting, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, I, oh, so should I, we keep going? So then um, eventually it'll be fermented enough uh, and the coffee will be taken out of the fermentation tank. Um, it could be washed at that point again. Um, and it's just going to be usually spread out on a patio, mm-hmm. like a black concrete patio, yeah. um, and just kind of raked and yeah. um, let dry, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that, again, can be any length of time. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and that's that's essentially how coffee is fermented and processed. That's a washed processed coffee. Okay. I mean, that's not the end of it, but that's pretty much the end of the fermentation at that point. Okay. Um, after that, they're just drying it down to a certain moisture content. Yeah. And then it know? just goes into the supply chain or whatever. Yeah. They have to get the, they have to get the, um, there's a parchment that's on there oh, okay. that they take off, but that's just, okay. I mean, that's usually people can like tumble it off and stuff. So what is um, this African raised bed stuff? What's well, so this that? is a drying method that um, they, they're building beds essentially with wire mesh uh, screen bottoms, uh, and they're laying the coffee out on these beds. Um, and some people like Bella Vista, they have uh, three or four tiers of beds um, and in a greenhouse, uh, and the temperature is different on each tier. Right. Uh, just naturally. And they'll move the coffee. They'll start at the bottom at the coolest and they'll move it up to the top. Mm. Um, or maybe they do it in reverse. I, I honestly That's can't remember. Fine. But um, it's a way for the farmer to control the moisture loss mm-hmm. more closely. And um, yeah, there's some really great so results. This is in Guatemala. This was in and Guatemala. They're using an African technique. They are. I, I believe this started in Africa. Yeah. Um, but I'm actually not sure where this started. The thing okay. that's going on right now with the coffee industry that's so interesting and so exciting is that um, you have a lot of um, uh, exchange of ideas and you have a lot of people like green buyers for companies who are um, working more closely with farmers to help them improve their coffee quality. Yeah. And I think this is coming from the fact that um, American roasters, in many respects are having a hard time competing with Australian, European, Japanese roasters um, economically like in terms of buying power. Yeah, getting yeah. the beans. I mean, it, unfortunately, like, a lot of the highest scoring coffees are going to go to Europe and Australia. They just pay more. And okay. They can afford it. All right. Um, and I, American roasters um, get get still get coffees that are just as good as what's going to Europe or Australia. But the way they do it is with hard work. (laughs) They they go down there and they build a relationship with a farmer and they say like, hey, listen, your coffee right now is like scoring 84. I'm going to help you build these raised beds. We're going to process this next lot on these raised beds and Mm -hmm. we're going to see if it improves. And like, lo and behold, it goes up two points and now, you know, that farmer will sell it to them. They'll get a good price on it. It goes from being a commodity product to a specialty product, basically. Yeah, or, well, commodity, commodity, well, specialty starts at 80. So specialty grade coffee starts at 80 and goes up from there. Okay. Um, The whole scoring system is, like, really, I I don't know, it's difficult to, it's difficult to, like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't think it's very good for just the lay person, honestly. Okay. Because... 
you know, the difference between an 84 and 86 is huge or could be huge or it could be nothing. I mean, yeah. It, yeah. And the other thing is at the, at the end for a consumer, the, the score and the price not do not necessarily have anything to do with each other. Yeah. Right. Well, so, so I described washed coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Natural processed coffee is really popular. Some natural processed coffees score less because they have a fermentation taste, taste. that's present in the coffee. Oh. That technically will take points off their cupping score, and technically they won't be as valuable. And, and the yeah, consumers love someone them. might want it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, interesting. So in a way, it's like, what are you looking for? You know, yeah, yeah. Um, the people that really care about cupping scores are like the big places, like you know, Pete's and and Starbucks and Green Mountain, because they want to be able to go to a coffee mill and say, like, I want, you know. I want five containers of coffee, and I want them to score between an eighty-one and an eighty-two. Okay, you know, and yeah. I want this price point. You know, yeah, and, and so that's where like the cupping scores really come in handy. But yeah, natural processing coffee involves usually fermenting the cherry um, uh, before you depulp it. So instead of like if we go back to that wash process that I was yeah. talking about, um, instead of doing that, you just Take the coffee. You can density sort it if you're if you're good at what you do, and then you just lay it out on the patio. Yeah, so it's fermenting inside of its own skin. Right. It's just like if you left a cherry or a peach on your counter. Mm-hmm. You know, it's- yeah. Right. And and then there's another method too, which is sometimes called pulps natural, uh, natural in Brazil or honeyed. Honeyed. Yeah. Uh-huh, I've which heard is that. Yeah. right. Which is where you. Um, Depulp the coffee, but you leave a lot of the mucilage on. Okay. You know, you don't let it ferment. You let it ferment on the patio, not in a tank. Yeah. You know. Um, I wonder if there could be an advantage to that um, by perhaps removing a lot of the exterior sugars from the fruit, you might get a, a less mold, moldy environment, mm, and that can yeah. help um, a better balance in the fermentation. Whereas if mm. you in, brought in a lot of the fruit, um, you could have a higher sugar. Plus yeah. molds, wild molds, oh, and, and really create an off taste because yeah. nothing destroys flavor like molds. Well, you know, or, can... or nothing as attractive as mold, like yeah. cheese and things. Oh, right. <laughs> so it can go. It can be your enemy or your friend. You know? Yeah, people. A lot of people ask me all the time, like, "Oh, why? Um, you know, like this natural processed coffee tastes so fruity. Like, why don't farmers do everything like this?" And it's like, well, not everyone it, wants. That it's part. a crapshoot. Yeah. You know, I mean. You're talking to a farmer who, you know, any kind of farmer is not going to be that willing to take risks because they're usually living, like, crop cycle to crop cycle, you know? Um, he also like one failed harvest and they're yeah. screwed. So it's like you're asking someone to to be like, all right, take a risk here. Uh-huh. Maybe get a dollar more per pound if it pays off. Okay. Or if it doesn't pay off, you lose $2 yeah. per pound. You know, yeah, yeah. a lot of farmers will just stick with what they know, yeah. which is one of the reasons why change and coffee quality is slowly getting better instead of, you know, you'd think like, oh, don't these farmers realize like if they make a few simple improvements, they're mm-hmm. caught, they're, they're, uh, the price they get is going to go way up. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they don't think like that. They think like, if I take these risks, maybe I'll get more money or maybe these great yeah. will never come back. Right, right. You know, they also don't know what hipsters in Ohio City, Ohio, want yeah. in their cup. They're farmers. They're starting <laughs> to learn, though. I mean, really, yeah, I right. mean, they they do. I mean, farmers. They're not. I mean, you know, the world is totally. I mean, they're all online. Yeah. <laughs> they're all watching yeah. American TV. They're all yeah. like, you know, uh, they're. I mean, they're stoked. They think we have so much money, you mm-hmm. know. And um, I mean, 
you know, the Europeans definitely do. <laughs> I mean, the, yeah, the so Europeans will roll like, through. And they're just, literally just going in, Australians especially, yeah. are just buying the best stuff out there. There's a lot of coffee buyers like that yeah. from overseas who they don't really care. They'll just be like, who's the big, what's the big mill around here? Yeah. Let me go cup and like the best, the highest cupping scores they're going to buy. Yeah. You know, and if the farmer wants a crazy price for it, they're going to pay, they'll pay it. They'll pay know? it, yeah. I mean, there's always like, you know, you hear coffee farmers always you know, obviously they think their coffee should be, they should be getting more for their coffee, and they probably should. I mean, coffee should be more expensive across the board. I mean, you should pay more for it in the cafe. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, roasters should charge more for it, yeah. and and farmers should charge more yeah, for it. Yeah, I think it. the whole system, the whole system is insanely is, undervalued way, for the totally amount, yeah. the amount of uh, effort that goes into it mm-hmm. is stunning. And especially yeah. when you consider that, like, you can get a cup of coffee for, like, 99 cents at Speedway. Right. It's almost, like, unreal. Like, how is, is that, how is this possible? Right. Um, yeah, but, you know... Well, giant, you monocrop, giant monocrop farms can make that happen. Yeah. Like, well, that's also thing, yeah. Ex- destroys ecology yeah yeah it really and people people so many people desire that cup yeah uh, that horrible cup <laughs> of burnt coffee that it, it's shocking to me well but i think i'm only a few years removed from it myself so I'm, right you know, and that's the thing you know you're saying like when we like first started you were like yeah it's difficult to sell coffee to people at three dollars a cup when they're like used to one dollar a cup coffee i think that Every day, there are less people that are able to stomach one dollar cup coffee. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it really is similar to like the craft beer thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think we're really still. I remember when when craft beer, like I was pretty young, but I remember like you know the connotations around craft beer was somehow less. It was less manly to like drink a craft beer yeah. in the late nineties. You know, yeah. and then. At a certain point, people stopped yeah, saying that because they had a craft beer, right. and they were like, holy shit, this, this is better. way right, better. Right. <laughs> yeah. What the hell have I been drinking? Yeah, it's funny. And I've the, heard that, you know, the term was, at first, microbrew. Right. And then um, it was co-opted by industry, yeah. and they created the term craft, because yeah. a microbrewery is an actual technical definition, yeah. and you can only produce so much as a microbrewery. Mm-hmm. So big commercial operations term yeah, called right. craft brew. Right. So then Budweiser can make craft brewed. <laughs> yeah, and craft coffee. I mean, that's the real term. Yeah. I mean, you can hear third wave. You can hear uh, micro roasteries. <clears throat> right, you right. Know, micro roasters. But really it is, I mean, it's it's just, it's like anything. It's, it's like craft brewing. It's just people who are putting an actual emphasis on the craft and perfecting sure. the craft sure. of making something. So let's talk about the cupping process. So yeah. when these are... At, at the processing facilities, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. What's the roasting? Uh, these what have they to be have? roasted. You yeah. can't make co- coffee off the green with a green bean. No, it has to no. be roasted. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's a way to do that. I mean, but I know. mean for uh, for yeah, the coffee I mean, that we drink green, is roasted. Green coffee, like once it get it, you get it out of your parchment and it's rested, it's in a bag and it's ready to be roasted. I mean that you know we have people coming in pretty regularly who ask us if they can buy green coffee because some, like, was Dr. Oz or some, like, also, crazy like quack was like, yeah, oh, uh, drink green coffee. There's a new green coffee diet or something. Right. And they're like, can, can, can you grind this? And I have to be like, no, I can't. It's yeah. insanely hard. Yeah. It will destroy our grinders to yeah, put right. green coffee right. through them. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know, I don't know how you're going to get this ground, but it's yeah. not going to be here. Good luck. <laughs> like, yeah. Here, give them a go, go destroy the grocery store a, grinder. Um, 
Give them the Hario. The hand uh, mill. <laughs> yeah, the hand. Uh, I have the. I've been using it for forever now myself um the skirtin yeah the skirtin yeah. yeah those are great grinders. yeah just give them one of those sell them one yeah, of those and tell them I know. have at it yeah have at it see you in so there are they are roasting coffees on these in these yeah so what most, are these roasters most, like like is it a pan uh, and out oven and no a, no it just real, depends i mean i i'm sure there are places you can find that are like that definitely i mean you're, you're dealing with third world countries you know so i mean there are definitely probably people who are cupping samples Roasted in a pan. Yeah. You know, I had a friend who lived in Togo, um, in you know uh, East Africa, mm-hmm. um, or no West Africa, and um, she brought back some coffee that was roasted in a pan yeah. and was robusta and was yeah. like, "This is what I've been drinking for the last two years." Oh, <laughs> like, wow. She's like wired on. I'm so like, sorry. Wired on crack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's horrific. And, um, yeah. But at these places, you know, most of them will have. A roaster. They'll have a small roaster. Okay. They'll at least have a sample roaster. Sample roasters, you can... They're like little barrels, essentially, and you can roast, you know, 90-gram samples on ah. them. And um, and so, yeah, the farmers will pull samples out of the lots. You know, the processors will pull samples out of the lots. They'll roast them up, and um, and they'll have a cupping lab. They'll usually have pretty decent grinders and this stuff. This is when the wealthy whites from around the world come for a yeah. cupping. And a lot of these people, this is their job. This is what they do in the yeah. world. They travel the world and taste. Right. And they create these scores, and they that's what the <laughs> coffee is judged by, basically. The, yeah, well, the I score. mean, yeah, there's a score sheet, uh, and you're judging a bunch of different categories. Um, and it's about as scientific as sensory evaluation can get. I mean, and by that I mean, you know, without scientific equipment, just right, right. using your senses. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Yeah. So I mean, is it as fraudulent as wine tasting? Because <laughs> wine tasting has been proven to be pretty much bunk. Yeah. Because all you have to do is take fraudulent. two bottles, put them in a brown paper bag, and I you think, can fool like ninety nine percent of. Well, there's that famous, There's that famous test where they took uh, a bunch of sommeliers yeah. and they they served them a white wine that they dyed red and asked them to identify the varietal, and yeah. none of them got it right. Yeah. Um, which is just so mean. Yeah. And, you know, it's great. I love that because I'm really into, like, heady metaphysical concepts. And it's like, uh-huh. you know, oh, perception creates reality. Of course. They saw red wine and they tasted red wine. Yeah. But um, it doesn't mean they were wrong. It doesn't mean they're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no, it's, it's, it's in a way, uh, I think wine is more susceptible to that because it's a boring drink. It's not that chemically complex. I think a lot of wine is very one-dimensional, and uh, yeah, I think it really there's not and that much. The aspect that you know you're talking uh, what, whatever percentage of alcohol that it is, fifteen yeah. percent of it right. is alcohol. Right. I mean that is Which a, crushes that's a heavy load on the taste yeah. and your your experience. Yeah. Whereas like you know, coffee is way more chemically complex than wine, and on top of that, coffee because it's losing heat. Is chemically changing every sip. Every sip. Every sip yeah. is different, and so in a way, it's not fraudulent because you can taste almost anything in a cup of coffee, and that's something that I really like about it. And I, I didn't like coffee that much until I kind of accepted this and thought like, and looked at this more as like a Zen like thing. Like every cup of coffee is a moment that will never. Every sip is a moment that will mm-hmm. never be repeated. Yeah. Every cup is unique. You know, yeah. um, like we don't have tasting notes on our bags. A lot of people put like a ta- three or four 
were Words. tasting note on their I bag. I don't like that either. That's I, awesome I that you guys that. don't do that. And I, I refuse. I hate when a coffee yeah. says the words raspberry, right. honey, and strawberry, my, my because then that's what you're going to taste. Right. And my coworkers get so angry with me for like, we need to do this. We no. And no. I'm just like, I'm on your side. listen, they should, every should cup not. is different, and yep. it's different yep. every day. And just because we cup it and we taste cedar and allspice and, yeah. you know, uh, jasmine... You may Doesn't have eaten a pumpkin that. pie last night, <laughs> yeah, and that's right. your most recent memory. Yeah, or your and wife might have just told you that she's yeah. like sleeping with your best friend, and right. it just I tastes taste like poison and, <laughs> and burned rubber, knives, you know, like, and asphalt and, and grapes. Yeah. And I and I think it should be an individual experience anyway. And I I don't right. want people to sit there. I I hate when people are unconscious, mm-hmm. and I think that when you tell them what to taste, you're making people unconscious. Okay. They're just like, oh, I taste strawberries. Yep. And, you know, when you don't give them any direction, you just put it out there. If they yeah. really want to savor it, they have to consciously stop and think about it. Yeah, and I, yeah. I kind of like... I will do one thing that I've learned, especially customers that are regulars, and you can just tell by the questions they ask. Yeah. They'll, they will say, I, often, I've been asked, I would like a more acidic cup. Yeah. Um, a common term is rustic. I'd like a more rustic cup. <laughs> that I heard, and I'm like, okay, you know, that, and I'm fine with that because then I'll, yeah. I'll just naturally say, oh, then you want this, uh, <clears throat> Guatemala Antigua, you know, and right. I don't even know what I'm talking about, but all <laughs> I have to do is show complete and utter confidence. Right. <laughs> I serve it to them, and they're so happy. <laughs> well, there's there's that uh, Harvard study on placebos where they gave everyone a placebo, and they found that the people who the doctor said this is going to help you. Uh, had a much higher rate of like positive response than the people than who the doctor placebo? just like gave it to them. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, and um, oh, to actually say this is the medicine you need. This is specifically this designed will help for you. your problem. Yeah, this will when, help when, you. yeah, like here, this is going to help. Right. That caused a lot of like benefit to people, and yeah, I mean, usually when acidic, rustic, bold, bold, um, okay, there's bold a lot and of strong, terms. bold yeah, and strong, bold are, the strong. Two, are the two most common requests. Yeah. And they're I don't like a bo- I don't like a strong coffee. Right. You you serve strong coffees, don't you? Or, and they're almost meaningless because they. I, I mean, I don't know what it. What means. does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. It means something different everywhere. I try to be patient so. and just try to yeah. uncover what they're asking. What they're really saying is, "Will I like this?" And like you said, if you respond with "You will like this," yeah. then people yeah. will leave happy. It's kind of interesting. Although if someone does say they want a rustic cup, mm-hmm. I will not serve them an Ethiopian yergesha. <laughs> right. Because yeah. to me, that is not rustic. That right. is just like, it's wild, fruity, tart, right. insanity, and you it's never know bright. what's coming your way. Right. Yeah, I like the word bright. I know it might mm-hmm. be the wrong term, but I use bright a lot. On bright is really and, used in the industry a lot, and I honestly think that it's used pretty well. Yeah. I, mean, I think okay. it's a term that people um, intrinsically latch onto. Yeah. When, yeah. They say, when they want an acidic coffee, I think... Bright is something that like, yeah. and these are th- I associate that well. with like these natural processed coffees. Mm-hmm. Myself, I'm, mm-hmm. I don't know, but it just seems like that fruitiness that. Um, yeah, I put a word to like say. Here's a little bit of a spin, though. We have this these two farms from Panama. Yeah, the Los Leones. Los Leones. Leones. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, the other is the Emporium Estate. Emporium. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, those coffees are unique. <laughs> I mean, well, this, they the, blow yeah. my mind. This, uh, this come from a guy named uh, Graciano Cruz, yeah. who's like, again, another really respected uh, 
coffee processor farmer. And, um, yeah, he does, I mean, the Los Leones is honey processed and the Emporium mm. Estates are natural okay. and he specializes in natural processing. And he is one of these people that is like on the cutting edge of scientifically measuring sugar content, uh, moisture content of their coffee. Oh. And I mean, he's really pushing the industry ahead. Really? Um, yeah, I, I love that guy. I try to buy as much coffee from him as I can. Coffee, honestly. it blows my mind. Um, it's always incredible. I recently good. made some really bad cups. Um, I make a lot of cups throughout the day. <laughs> yeah. And I often don't try them. Yeah. And then every once in a while, i got to catch myself and say, wait, I need to try Let a me cup. see what I Yeah. And I did. And I'm like, ugh, I don't like this. <laughs> and um, so I got out my thermometer. Uh-huh. And I just took the temperature of the water I was pulling oh. from our water heater. I'm yeah. like, it's too low. Yeah. It Ugh, is, that's the worst. It, so, because I noticed the there's this when you hit the hot water to the coffee, they call it the bloom, right. basically. And it was not it giving me blooming. that robust bloom mm. that I was expecting. And I thought maybe the coffee was getting old, and I mm-hmm. knew better. And it was it was temperature, and yeah. the temperature was too low. You know, I was below one, I was well, at one ninety or below. And so today, I cranked the th- water heater all the way up. It's not a water heater; it's a you know, a proper... Yeah. Well, it it's is a big water. water. Whatever. Water what do they call them? They call them uh, water, water towers. Water towers. Yeah. <clears throat> I cranked it up. I made sure I heated the kettle. I dumped it out. Uh-huh. I got it really hot. Yeah. It was like at 200 plus, 202, <laughs> and I made a cup. Yeah. And damn, it, great. everything changed. Yeah. The, the cup wildly changed. Well, what you're describing is the craft. I mean, yeah. that is the craft of making it. I mean... That's why coffee, I think, is so appealing to a lot of people. Yeah. Is um, everything, every little action that you take affects when you're brewing coffee. And when you're roasting coffee, it's the same way. Affects the taste that's going to show up in your cup. And if you skip or you, like, shortchange one step Mm -hmm. in this really intricate process you will have a negative impact. And sometimes yeah. you'll have, a, like, especially someone like that's really important, like water temperature, yeah. you'll have a horrible end product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, it's like, it, it's really frustrating for a lot of people who are learning it, mm-hmm. who are learning this craft, but it, it makes it so rewarding when yeah. you ultimately are yeah. able to put it all together and just really craft an amazing cup of coffee mm-hmm. um, because you know every variable, you've identified it, and yeah. you control it now. Um, yeah, that's we, when it becomes an art, you know. We kind of do like a loose approach at our shop mm-hmm. where it's kind of like barista's choice how to make a Hario V60. Yeah. Um, we have some guidelines. We we tin, we put in little tins, pre-measured mm-hmm. all the coffees, and we yeah. grind them individually when someone orders them. But from that point forward, it's barista's choice on how he exactly going to do it. How he wants to brew it. We don't write, must be 60 grams at the bloom, must be right. finished cup 348 or whatever. It's yeah. kind of there's like loose guidelines and then we i kind of want to discover what people prefer yeah i want customers to come in and say oh can i have frank make the my mm-hmm. coffee or me or whoever you know? <laughs> or joe which would yeah. never happen ever <laughs> but um and by the way i i don't want anyone to get the wrong idea when i said i had to crank that temperature way up to make the coffee mm-hmm. i do not drink the coffee Right oh, away at that temperature. Right. Yeah. By the time it hits the cup, you're at that one sixty, whatever five ish yeah. or whatever. But still, even for me, especially that Panama, 
I need that temperature to come down. Mm. Yeah, I actually don't preheat my mugs. Oh yeah, and I like. Oh, the, you kind of like to shock uh, it. Yeah, mm. I just well, just a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I just put a little bit in the bottom to heat the bottom of the mug. Right. Yeah. But not the whole cup itself. I don't want the cup hot. And then I like that coffee to be like one forty. Yeah. When I drink that's, it, and it is that's where coffee tastes best. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> it, it's yeah. Well, it's it's. You know, it's like you're talking about with wine how there's so much alcohol, you know, and in the in the wine or in the the you know the alcohol the craft alcohol kind of industry, um, the alcohol content is referred to as heat, you know. Mm. So like a a 101 proof whiskey is very hot. Oh, okay. You know, and um, a lot of people like especially in whiskey tasting, you know, they'll cut their whiskey with water to cut down the heat of the alcohol, so they can taste so they can the taste product. the whiskey. Yeah. And it, with coffee, you have to worry about actual heat. So coffee, the hotter the water, the tighter the flavor uh, chemical compounds in the coffee are wound. Okay. Uh, and also, the less your tongue can actually taste, because it, it, that hot water hits it, and your taste buds contract. Okay. So to really taste coffee, you have to let it cool, and it really does open up. Um, the flavor compounds unwind and they uh, become more full and more fully expressed and you're able to more fully taste them. Yeah. So like when you're cupping coffee, you know, you'll let it steep for four minutes. You'll break the surface crust that builds up and scrape that off and throw that away. And then you let it cool for 10 minutes. Well, the first thing you're doing is you're breaking the crust and and smelling inhaling yeah. that aroma mm-hmm. that you're going to get for that yeah. first initial well it's nice and hot right then you're s- disposing of the grounds right you dispose of the grounds you used to brew the coffee so yeah. a lot of them stay in the bottom yeah coffee cupping flies in the face of coffee brewing logic yeah. <laughs> in the most like right. spectacular way yeah because the grounds are still <laughs> in there right yeah because the grounds are just in there and it's yeah. steeping and it's like not very controlled and yeah. no like you know when I'm at our shop, when we're making pour-overs or aeropresses, we're measuring every variable. We're measuring yeah. how much water we're putting in. We're timing them, like, really closely. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we're cupping coffee, it's so, it's it's so wild west. It's, it's like we measure the amount of coffee that goes into each little uh-huh. cup, uh-huh. and that's about it. And then yeah. we fill it up to the top with water, so each bowl has a different amount. Yeah. The water can be is probably at different temperatures, yeah. and we set a timer. But that's why you put several cups of each. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. That's right why you have a there, yeah, and you're going right. to taste three of the same, yeah. and see what you get out of there. And yeah, and yeah, and you know, that's that's one of the most interesting things about coffee cupping because you have, you know, three to five to six samples of each coffee, and you can really taste the variation cup to cup. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, a lot of the best coffees, like a lot of like the coffees that I'm interested in buying, they have no variation, you know, or very slight variation. But even those coffees, you know, you, you you can get a bad bean. You can, you mm-hmm. know, get one that the grinder is set differently. You know, you notice variation. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. People are always asking me, like, why do you have three of the same one? And I'm like, well, taste them. And they're right. like, oh, they're all different. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah every coffee is, every, every coffee that you brew is different. Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of funny, like, you know... I, I hear this in the, in the industry a lot. Like, oh, have you heard about so-and-so's new roastery? Yeah, I had a cup. It was terrible. And it's like, well... Well, you should have had three. You should have had three or four. Like, how <laughs> right. can you judge a coffee place on, like, on one, one cup? cup you know? right. The guy could have had a, his wife could have like, been yeah, like, him that morning. Right. right. It's like not like said. wine where you, yeah. you know, you can just crack it open and pour it. And yeah. It's probably going to taste the same unless you wait a year. You know, it's... um. 
It really is very, like, in the moment, so... Yeah. Yeah, that's what I like about it, though, you know? Yeah, me too. That's really cool. <laughs> I'm pause this. I'm having a good time, so... That's cool. Let's do a little bit of... Um, you've been <laughs> traveling recently? Yeah. Yeah, I was just in Guatemala um, last month. What month is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I hear it's of. the Wild West, like... Oh, man. You know, it's really funny. So, um, I'm sure you've heard of that show... Dangerous Grounds on the Travel Channel. People keep Travel telling Channel? people keep telling me, and I yeah. have not seen it. So I don't have cable. It's a so. reality TV show where uh, this guy who uh, is the green buyer and I think co-owner of uh, this. I I don't know how many people listen to this. I think their coffee is not very good. It's okay. called uh, La Colombe de Tora Factions. When they're based in Philadelphia, they just roast very dark. You okay. know, um, they've served me the worst geisha I ever had. Because it was so dark roasted, it was just so depressing. Like, <laughs> like, why would you buy a geisha varietal mm-hmm. co- and then just dark roasted? It was so, oh, it was brutal. But so this dude has this reality TV show called Dangerous Grounds, where uh, every week he goes to like an origin country, and uh, and it's super dangerous, and he's like flying in on helicopters into rebel-held mountaintops to maybe find some coffee that's been, like, you know, growing wild for 30 years. And, yeah, it's ridiculous. Okay. And then... Um, it's a reality TV it's show. It's a reality so TV bullshit. show. So it's totally Which, When bullshit. you put the word reality in... Right. Obviously, yeah, nothing about reality, it is right? real in any right. sense. <laughs> no. yeah. And it was funny because, like, I guess the first season he was going to, like, weird places that don't really grow coffee. Um, and that's kind of interesting. Like, I'm kind of interested in this premise. Like, you know, hey, let's go to. Uh, where did he go? Like, just. I can't remember. I don't even know. Like, he was going in, like, to the Chinese mountains and, okay. like, just spots that are, like, not coffee producing regions, mm-hmm. per se, looking for coffee. That, to me, sounds like an That's interesting cool. travel yeah, show. I like that. But, of course, he was doing it, like, with, like, you know, this added, like, BS drama of, like, oh, maybe this headhunter tribe will kill me if I <laughs> stay yeah. too long. Yeah. You know? And um, and so now he's kind of run out of those places. So I guess this year he's going to, like, uh, Brazil and Guatemala, which are the two places I, I've been this spring. Mm-hmm. And um, I got back from Guatemala uh, and, like, I got back on the day that the episode he filmed in Guatemala aired. Yeah. So my dad called me and was like, hey, come back and watch this episode with me. Uh-huh. you got to let me know how real this is. Yeah. And um, it was absolutely so ridiculously overblown and insane. Like, this whole episode, he's like, man, I'm really nervous. He's in like a, he's in like a public market, mm-hmm. you know, and he's like, we got to be really careful around here. I mean, these yeah. people... Oh my god! You know, and it like it was almost coming across like borderline like racist in a way. Yeah. And then the thing that was the most ludicrous was the whole episode. He's like, I wonder if I'll be able to get access to this coffee farm way up north in the mountains, you know. Yeah. And he's like playing up this angle that like he has to like sweet talk this like Hefe character who's gonna like maybe let him sample his coffee and okay. maybe he'll just have him killed by snipers or something, you know. Uh-huh. Which, nothing could be further from the truth. Like, when you are a gringo, and I'm a very large, very pale gringo, when you go to, like, Guatemala or Brazil, you are a walking dollar sign, you know? Like, every dude that grows coffee wants to talk to you and be your friend. Because they know that you're there, right? Right, and it's like, who wouldn't, you know? Like, 
Who's going to, like, alienate their customers? Nobody. But, yeah, I just thought that was funny. In case anyone is wondering, that show is, like, so such ridiculous bullshit. Yeah. And actually, one of the guys that I went to Guatemala with, um, it's funny because he actually got robbed at gunpoint in Colombia. <laughs> and he was like, why aren't I on that show? You know, like... <laughs> but, you know, that's the thing, though. So there is, I mean, in real life... Look, you're traveling to countries where there's an insane amount of poverty. Mm-hmm. And, and I live on the east side of Cleveland. And, I mean, Guatemala is poor. And, like, you know, I'm used to an insane amount of poverty. And there are yeah. parts of Guatemala, and even, like, in Brazil, where I was like, man, this is pretty impoverished. Yeah. But um, the places are, I got to say, I really like um, the travel I get to do for work. I mean... Yeah. Um, coffee farmers, as, as I know them as a whole, are just like really great, really generous people. I yeah. mean, uh, and the thing that I like the most about what craft um, coffee is doing is these people used to be totally anonymous. You know, they're, when you buy Folgers pre roasted flavor crystals, the people who grew them are a faceless entity. Mm-hmm. You know, um, whereas when you're buying craft coffee, you know, we're buying that coffee and roasting it to preserve the work and the effort of the people who grew it. You know, it's it's actually returning their identity to yeah. them in a way. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I really like. But yeah, when you have your coffees, it's just not. We don't have uh, Guatemalan coffee. It has mm-hmm. uh, the country, the, the, region, the country, region, and the farm, the farm, the name of the farmer, where yeah. it was processed. Yeah. Um, so I think that's something that's like my favorite part personally about the craft coffee movement I have yeah. a lot of favorite things about the craft coffee movement but yeah. one of the things I think is the best is this kind of like you know um, bridging this like gap that the corporate monolith had created between you know people in the third world and people in the first world mm-hmm. but yeah it's it's really cool uh, Guatemala is a really cool place I, I have to say it's it's slightly unnerving because a lot of people are carrying guns, <laughs> but like, yeah. but uh, you know, at the same time, I I never felt like, oh man, I'm in danger. I never felt like oh, I got to get out of this place or whatever. Yeah. I felt like, man, I wish that security guard uh, wasn't so short because yeah. like the average height in Guatemala is like somebody said it's like five foot five or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just really short, <laughs> and so you know, you walk past like a really nice restaurant, and I'm like six foot two, yeah. and. Uh, the dude with the shotgun out front of the restaurant, you know, like he's holding the shotgun up, yeah, but it's pointing directly right at my in your head. face. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just like, you know, uh, that you may be six two, but you kind of look more six six ish. Yeah, you have well, a really yeah. large. Right, I'm just a I mean, big even here, dude, yeah, you, know? you look like a yeah. you're a pretty large guy. Yeah, yeah, that's the other thing that sucks about international travel is you know it's just like. You just, I just, you gotta get ready for like ten hours of of your knees getting destroyed right. by the back of right. someone's sh- like stupid. Oh my god, plane travel is the most dehumanizing experience I think that you could ever have. It's insane, like, and you have ten hours to sit there and oh. contemplate the insanity of it. And then Louis C.K. would just completely obliterate you for bitching about yeah, traveling. Right. To, You're in a fancy silver tube. Yeah, right. Blah blah blah. You should be. Good. Worshiping up at the gods of this will make me technology. really popular, but I hate Louis C.K. personally. Yeah, like I cannot stand him, dude. I'm much more of the like Doug Stanhope, like 
Let's just bitch uh, about it. I have standards, yeah. all right? Right. I mean, to me, civilization is not being crammed like cattle into a tube, even if it is flying over the goddamn ocean, all right? right. right. <laughs> like, right. Like, right. That's not civilization to me. Just because you have me. Wi-Fi on a plane yeah. over the ocean doesn't mean we're just because it's, space it's has Just because horrific. space has collapsed, mm-hmm. that does not equate to civilization to yep, me. Because right, it could right. be horrible, and it is horrible. And you're allowed to complain about it. And I'm allowed to complain about it. Absolutely. I, think I totally agree. Would defend my right to complain about it at least right yeah. I mean, he's friends with Doug Stanhope I wouldn't know I don't know Doug Stanhope but uh, I've seen so what'd well, you find in Guatemala good farms or yeah uh, I found some um, uh, great farms and you know like I was set, talking about uh, Bella Vista I mean this is a processor in Antigua Antigua is um, it's a region and a little city and it's it's really great I, I have to say like if you're looking for a cheap Vacation, and you're kind of like a, a weirdo that likes to drink with other weirdos and mm-hmm. do whatever else you can get your hands on. Antigua sounds like the best place, and it is like a really? great place. Oh yeah, like <laughs> it's it's um it's only it's like it's it's not very far from Guatemala City, which is the capital. Uh, it's like about five million people, and it actually can be very dangerous uh, very quickly. Yeah, um, it's broken into zones. Uh, and you can go from like one zone that is like law offices and really nice buildings to the next zone, and it's like you know uh, beyond Thunderdome, and mm-hmm. you'll barely, barely make it out alive. What other people? What some the we would term anarchic communities? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, just the, like incredible the, poverty, the fake version you know? of anarchy. Yeah, no, yeah, 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 the fake is, version of anarchy, yeah. where you know you have a system that's designed to exploit people, mm-hmm. and they're just doing a really good job of exploiting them. Um, we have that uh, Guatemala on the brew bar right now. Yes, you have the Antigua Capeu. Yeah, and that's freaking delicious. <laughs> Thanks. Cup. That's that's processed by Bella, Bella Vista, and yeah. that's that is like at the end of its life, and yeah. it still tastes so good. And that's yeah. that is. Um, I mean, we're getting new Guatemalans starting next week. Yeah, um, and so that's that's um, really a testament to the processing that they're doing at Bella Vista. Yeah. That uh, Luis Pedro is doing those raised beds. They are. They, it's extending the the deliciousness of these coffees by months. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Antigua is just. It used to be the capital city of Guatemala and was destroyed four times by earthquakes and volcanoes. And they eventually moved. They just moved the city. I got an idea. Yeah, <laughs> over a mountain range. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and so you go out, you go, you fly into Guatemala City, and it's actually like one of the most dangerous airports in the world, which is really interesting. Really? Yeah. So I was flying in, the whole plane is like filled with mission groups. So it's filled with like all Christian red state Bible yeah, thumpers, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I cannot be Those are the further scariest from that. People in the world. To me. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? You have to respect these people, though. Well, what's nice is that you're, they think you're friend, you're friendly. Right. I mean, yeah, they, they assume, like, oh, he works in coffee. A lot of these yeah. people drink a ton of coffee. Uh, I'm just really friendly anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and on top of that, you know, I try to find common ground with people, and it's like, I, I might, I totally disagree with their religious beliefs, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I do respect the fact that they're willing, they have faith in this enough that they're willing to leave their comfort zone go to a completely foreign place where they're probably going to be viewed hostily mm-hmm. and actually try to like improve people's lives. Yeah. So in a way like you know, I don't think I could talk to them for more than like 10 minutes before mm-hmm. it would get awkward. But right. at the same time, I respect what they're doing. Right. And I, you know, 
they're not the worst people to be on an airplane with because they're all very happy and excited and enthusiastic and polite and very polite you know and um, but Larora Airport that's the name of the airport in Guatemala City it's built on a plateau in the middle of the city and the city is ringed by mountains and these are like 20,000 foot mountains these are like mountains that are like from someone from Cleveland, Ohio I mean I'm just like holy shit I've never seen a mountain yeah. Like right, that right. is a volcano. That's a mountain. That's right a there. volcano. Like, that's, <laughs> the mountains I've seen are like that beer commercial. Smoking. Yeah. There's a hole in it. What the yeah. fuck? Yeah, right. And uh, that mountain has killed people. It has its own climate. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. clouds stuck in it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this airport though is like on this plateau in you know in the middle of a city ringed by Mordor ass mountains, and you like you fly in and it's just nothing but turbulence. As soon as you like, yeah get even within sight of land and yeah. um and uh so we're we're coming into land and it's just like insane turbulence i mean the plane is like jumping up and down and the more disturbing oh. thing is that it's rocking like yeah. back and yeah. forth like uh, wildly so like you'll no rock you. one way and right. you'll be like staring straight at the ground and uh-huh. then rock back the next way and uh you know we like land and the plane kind of like you can feel it like skidding and it's like it was just really like I've like flown a bit and it's it was the worst landing I've ever been through and um all just to go find a coffee farm that you could find on the internet Uh, I guess I mean but you had to go but yeah so we like finally slowed down and I was like wow that was a little ridiculous huh and um the woman next to me didn't speak any English and just smiled and then the woman on the side of her was like one of these like uh missionary people and she was like super pale and she just looked at me and goes yeah I didn't want to say anything but this is like one of the most dangerous airports in the world to fly into and I was just like oh thanks for not saying anything lady that would have been horrifying but so the knowledge like, would have changed your reality. Yeah, but that's kind of how Guatemala is. Like, yeah. it has this air to it where it's like, man, it it it's, maybe it's best to be an idiot when traveling into Guatemala. I feel like it is. I feel like it is. Just honestly, be like, oh, just going in this and is a crazy ass place. The thing is, the people are so nice yeah. that like, just throw yourself at the mercy of the people because yeah. most of them are going to try to help you if they can. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're they're really great. They're really down to earth, just like awesome people. Mm-hmm. You know. And being from the Midwest, I think is, I felt like very comfortable around mm-hmm. them. You mm-hmm. know, there there's no like, there's no bullshit. There's no posturing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, so I really I really liked that part of Guatemala. But yeah, I mean, the airport is just wild. You know, it's like you don't know where you're going. Like you don't know what's going on. Like you know, you walk outside and there's like uh, in Guatemala. I guess it's like customary to meet travelers at the airport but like the whole family will go meet people at the airport Mm -hmm. so you know you like go through the whole long like intestinal airport and then you come out the end and you're just greeted by a crowd of like you know 500 people with like signs and like fast food and like you know it's kind of like a party and you're like just so confused as to what's happening yeah where am i going and um yeah and then you know the traffic is completely unhinged you know just mental just yeah like motorbikes everywhere zipping in and out and um antigua like i said it's just right on the other side of a mountain mm-hmm. um from guatemala city and it should take about like 25 minutes to drive between the two and it takes like three hours usually yeah. because the traffic is just so crazy um so yeah i mean it's 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 kind of like a wild place i mean it's it's cool but you know it's, somehow they managed to get the coffee out of there 
Well, yeah. I mean, the coffee is just... Maybe the money speaks and helps the process. The problem, I think, a lot of the problem with Guatemala is the, the, you know, the government is just so dysfunctional and so, like, out-and-out, like, criminal. Yeah. That there's really no basic infrastructures for people. Like, the school systems are pretty bad, and, um, you know, the government's just not able to accomplish much. And so much of, like, modern life is based on the government being able to accomplish stuff that it's, it's like, you know, it's, this is just really apparent when you go somewhere that it's not really working. It's not functioning. <laughs> you know? yeah, and, yeah, yeah, Like, uh, and I just come back from Brazil, and Brazil is a country that is really impressive. I mean, you know, so Brazil, like, you land, and it's, like, well, you, I went, I flew into Sao Paulo, which is, you know, like, 20 million people, and you just, you're flying over a city, like, high-rise high-density city for, like, ten minutes. You know, yeah. you're, like, flying over this thing, yeah. and it's endless, and you're just like, how many people... Like, how did they get this many people down here? <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, the first thing you see is, like, you know, 500 dudes in bright blue overalls building, like, the most modern-looking new airport next to the current airport, you yeah. know? And um, the roads are perfect. The traffic is unhinged down there, too, because everyone wants to be, like, a Formula One driver. Ah, you know, so they're... Nice. And, and they, they you know, year-round motorbikes, so they're just, like, flying on motorcycles mm-hmm. everywhere. Um, but, like, yeah, I think that's that was, like... That's, like, one of the biggest difference I've, differences I've noticed between Brazil and, like, you know, Guatemala, for sure, is just, like, in Guatemala, the public works that you see are, like, here's half a school that looks abandoned. It looks like it was abandoned halfway through and has, like, a fading, half-torn-up, graffiti-covered sign This is like, you know, a project of the Guatemalan government. Right. Whereas in Brazil, it's, it's more like, you know, um, here's this modern new skyscraper that we <laughs> burned a favela down to build. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Like, here's, like... So, but Brazil is, is really impressive, man. I have to say, like... The food down there is incredible. I mean, um, it's very local-based, and I'm not sure if they've outright banned GMOs, mm-hmm. but I know that they're heading in that direction, and uh, it's it's not much processed food, and yeah. it's great. Like, I seriously, I was there for 10 days, and after, like, three days, you just feel so much better. You actually felt better. Like, I actually felt yeah. better. Yeah. Like, um, and it could also have been that I was coming from Cleveland in January, to Brazil in January where it's summer and it's yeah, 80 right. degrees and sunny right. every right. day and right. you're surrounded by like beautiful women and yeah. you're eating like amazing food. And I'm going to go right now. You should go. go. It's amazing. <laughs> Honestly, it's it's worth the cost. Let's talk about the um that the farm, the F, what is it? FAF? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Fazenda Ambiental Fortaleza. What's their gig? Their gig they're um they're, uh, it's a farm that's um, been in this family for a couple generations. They're the Croches. Um, the coffee program right now is run by a dude who is, uh, I think he's like 28. I mean, he's around my age. His name is uh, Felipe. Felipe Croce. He's awesome. He, um, he's uh, a Q grader. Uh, the family is, uh, has lived in Chicago for a really long time. Uh, and they, so they were living up in Chicago, and um, the dad, Marcos, was involved in, like, juice or something, and, uh, had a really successful juice company, sold it to, like, Coca-Cola or somebody, I might be getting this wrong. Sorry. But, um, basically was able to take all this money and just focus entirely on, um, really hardcore, organic coffee farming. Mm-hmm. And, so they do... And when you, by the, when you use the word organic, you mean... Yes. By, 
the natural state of organic, not right? Some branded, not some branded, bullshit. no, no. But I mean, uh, completely bio, biodynamic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is what the what they're going for. And so, I mean, by that, I mean they treat their farm as a living organism, uh, and they 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 have like it's almost like a holistic approach. You know, like you were talking earlier about uh, pesticides affecting the coffee because mm-hmm. of the fermentation and stuff. I mean, they that the first person I've heard talk about that stuff was Felipe. Yeah, uh, talking about like just the holistic nature of making coffee mm-hmm. and making the land healthy. And when you have the the land healthy, and when you have the entire like uh, sphere of everything functioning as it was intended by nature to function, right. then you're going to start to get like the best coffee That's that you what possibly I'm can. Absolutely. Right. But then at the same time, FAF is also a mill that processes mm-hmm. coffee from the surrounding areas. Okay. And Felipe has put a ton of attention into processing methods. So their methods, not only are they growing coffee in probably some of the most progressive ways that you can grow coffee, but they're processing it in some of the most progressive processing ways too. So they're, I mean, they're probably the only place in Brazil that I, I would buy coffee from. Mm-hmm. Um, Brazilian coffee... I was going to say, it doesn't have a good reputation. has a horrible reputation. Yeah. And it, it's deserved. I mean... Brazil produces most of the world's coffee, and most of it is horrible. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, uh, stuff that's going to go into Folgers. And sure. Like, really bad, huge, estate-grown, machine-harvested, pesticided-up mm-hmm. coffee. I mean, that that's what Brazil coffee is. It's the is United normally. States. It's, it's what the U.S. wants, it's right. For... For coffee. Right. Yeah. It's weird, actually. Brazil reminds me of the U.S. a lot, in, like, a lot of ways. I mean, they don't speak Spanish, yet they're in the Americas. Mm-hmm. They're just... The country's... Just huge, massive. I mean, insanely large, yeah. mind-bogglingly large. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if you don't speak Portuguese, you're pretty much fucked. Yeah. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, like yeah. uh, I was lucky to be there with some Brazilians, so yeah. I was all right. But yeah. like, nobody there speaks anything other than Portuguese. Yeah. You know, so it kind of, in a lot of ways, reminded me of the U.S. Like traveling through it. But, but yeah, back to FAF. They, they, they basically. Um, are out to create the best coffee that they possibly can. And um, they do that because... And, and they're helping farmers in the surrounding areas to do the same thing. Um, and they're... I mean, they, they rightly, like, you know, saw that, like, the only way to really make a, a healthy, sustainable profit at coffee is through doing the best that you possibly can, like, going towards the high end. There's so many... You know, you can't compete with the giant uh, agribusiness farms. Mm-hmm. Because they will crush you. Yeah. Their labor costs are lower. They sell mm-hmm. coffee lower. They have guaranteed contracts and all sorts of insider business stuff. But if you focus on like specialty and the high end and really doing a good job, you will you'll be able to sell a much smaller quantity for much higher prices. Um, and so it's great. They've worked with a number of farmers in the region. They're in Altamogiana, and um, or no, I'm sorry, they're in Sao Paulo, but they're right near Altamogiana. So they work with some farms in Mogiana and they, I mean, their coffee is probably the most sought after Brazilian coffee now. Mm. Um, they're huge in Europe. Um, uh, the, like Tim Wendelbow, um, bought some coffee from a farm that they process called Sitio Cana. And, um, and that coffee was served at Noma in Denmark. The, um, uh, you know the restaurant. Oh, it's like the Noma. most famous restaurant. It's like the, the most famous restaurant in the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and so this guy, uh, he's really nice. His name's Joe Hamilton. He's um, 
his coffee's like blown up now. Yeah, right, and it was right. great. I got to I got to meet him and we actually bought a lot from him. So mm-hmm. we're gonna have some of his coffee. Um I don't I don't know if people are interested. I think they can probably f- figure out I don't know how to get our coffee online. Through me. You sell it. Through you, yeah, through Brian. Through me, here. Um So you'll be able to get that soon. It's really amazingly good. Mm. And so Brazil has this reputation of horrible crap low-grade bad coffee. There's a name for it? Rio, Rio coffee? Yeah, there's actually a specific defect <laughs> that's named after Brazil because it's so common there. Yeah. Um, yeah, rio e coffee. And the thing that's happened is that consumers have kind of, like, well, specialty consumers have stopped wanting Brazilian coffee. You know, I mean, I recognize this in myself, like, two or three years ago, I if I looked at a coffee menu and I could and one of the options was a Brazilian coffee, I'm so, not even going to consider yeah, it. Right. You know, um, their coffee is usually they don't have the altitude that Central American coffees have, so they don't have the density, and so it's sometimes their coffees have less acidity, and you know a lot of specialty consumers really want the brightest, most acidic coffee mm-hmm. they can get, and um, their coffees were usually just kind of boring, nutty chocolatey and that that was about it very kind of like simple yeah you know a lot of the best coffees there would have like a nice body very be very clean but that was about it there's nothing like really remarkable about them but um faf they're they're really like changing the game kind of in brazil just by focusing on processing focusing on biodynamic farming Mm -hmm. you know so taking the best beans processing them the best way they're getting these coffees that are Looks like truly shade grown. Oh yeah, coffee. I mean these are That's these the coffees idea. are grown in a, a coffee rainforest. tree. Is <laughs> a coffee tree itself is an understory? Yeah, it's a shrub. Tree. Yeah, it's a little shrub that yeah. needs um, canopy right. over top. Yeah, and a lot of places in Brazil, shade grown coffee is unheard of. Yeah, I mean the only two farms I saw in Brazil that were growing coffee in shade were at FAF and Sitio Cana. So, so yeah, I mean those. You know, those are like kind of breaking the mold in Brazil. Where I mean, man, cool. and it, what's the bobolink? Why, why bobolink. Is it called that? Well, so you know, they take they process coffee. You know, is is picked and harvested continuously during the season um, because you have cherries that are ripening at different stages. So every day you're processing lots. So bobolink was a project that um, Felipe started to take um, lots and blend them together to create like the best like, standard, run-of-the-mill coffee you could possibly have. We mm-hmm. call it, like, comfort food coffee. Mm-hmm. It's very chocolatey. It's very nutty. It has a really nice, mellow acidity to it. Um, and these are lots that Felipe is blending at origin. So what he does is he takes the lots that are really head and shoulders above the rest, and he separates those out. And those are, like, reserves. They call them reserve, FAF reserve lots, like the one I got from Sitio Cana. That's mm-hmm. a reserve lot. Okay. And then the other lots he takes and he blends to bring out the like the best like uh, characteristics he can find. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what the bobbling project is. It's uh, him blending the lots from the farm to kind of achieve this like um, standard of, yeah. of perfection. Okay. Um, bobbling. He grew up on Bobbling Way in Chicago, and that's how they came up with the name Bobbling. Um, and then it was kind of cool because. Um, that Bobolink Way in Chicago um, was named after the Bobolinks that live in the Midwest during the uh, summer. Yeah. 
Um, during the winter, those bobolinks actually migrate down to Brazil and mm-hmm. live on their coffee farm in Brazil. Wow. Um, so that's why he they chose that name. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, uh, for the just, project. Wow. Because uh, it's kind of just, yeah, he thought it was really, it's really like wild. magical yeah. almost. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah, FAF is, it is a really magical place. It's, yeah. it's beautiful. It's, it's amazing. They actually, if there's any woofers that, like, are in your audience and you want to get down to Brazil, they host woofers. And I would a highly woofer? recommend it. Huh? A woofer? Oh, W-O-O-F. Uh, world organic something farming. Oh, these people that travel to organic yeah. farms and yeah. work. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Woofers. All right, I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, woofers. They're great. Woofing is awesome. And uh, FAF is really, like I said, you know, biodiversity. I mean, they're they're starting to get into all sorts of different stuff. So they're in the process right now of developing uh, specialty grade honey. So they're developing a specialty grade honey score sheet. Uh, we tasted. We had a honey cupping when we were there. And we tasted like 15 different kinds of honey mm-hmm. and it was incredible. Like Whoa. when you put honeys down and you taste yeah. the variation, they have like a master honey, like beekeeper who really, yeah. Uh, who's actually great. They, they, um, uh, I mean, I forget his name and I, I am pissed that I'm forgetting his name, but, um, this dude, he was a beekeeper on their farm for like 20 years. And, uh, eventually, uh, they, like he went to school for agronomy and beekeeping. Mm-hmm. And now he has, like, a PhD or something in beekeeping. <laughs> right. You know, and is, yeah. like, an accomplished author in Brazil on oh. the subject of honey honey and beekeeping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's great. This dude is, like, leading the charge to, like, make specialty, like, single-origin honey. <laughs> you know? And it's that insanely good. <laughs> like, wow. it's really crazy. Well, and yeah. I'm sure the tea community in particular would go nuts about it, yeah, unless yeah. like putting honey in tea is like a yeah, like the only honey we offer is from uh, our friend's um, property out yeah. in the middle of nowhere, like uh, Cuyahoga National well, Forest. It would just be really. I mean, even with like coffee, mm-hmm. I mean the the you know it's cool to think of like oh man, I can get a tea that tastes like jasmine. I'm going to yeah. pair that up with you know right or a tea that tastes like cloves yeah or a honey that tastes like cloves. I'm mm-hmm. going to put in my but, like yeah, coffee. Perfect. That's, yeah, that's cool. Know, yeah, so yeah. And what's really, yeah, nice really nice is all you have to do is add four parts water to any natural honey, mm-hmm. and you can make alcohol. Ah, yeah. Weed. <laughs> well, that's the other thing that they're thinking about uh, uh, exporting is is alcohol, cachaça, yeah. which is like a Brazilian um, rum kind of. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think it's from sugarcane. I'm not really. Mm, yeah, they really should sure. stick with the honey. Stick with the honey, yeah. not the cachaça. Not the yeah, export some uh, mead. <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah, yeah, you could probably make crazy mead out of these oh, honeys. Oh, yeah, because yeah. you need the wild yeast to kick it off. Uh-huh. And then just some water. Yeah. Yeah, FAF is, like, it's really, it's really great. It's really impressive, especially in a country where, you know, like, you're used to seeing just rows and rows of, like, un- shielded coffee trees that are just yeah. geared towards production so mm-hmm. they've grown really tall and right. you know the farmers are just trying to squeeze as much yield and as possible and it's all machine picked yeah it's all machine yeah. picked and um, and then you go to this place where it's like in the middle of a forest and you're like where are the coffee yeah, fields it's just in there it's in the forest yeah. like yeah. you know so you know so you I walk the like coffee fields yeah. there and you're like walking through a rainforest you know yeah. and, and you have to oh, like man. dodge gigantic spiders yeah. and um they have just beautiful portuguese poems um lining like the paths 
It's really cool. They, I mean, Damn. yeah, they had one poem that was just uh, they they read it uh, in English and it was really beautiful. It's just really? about how like um, the leaves, uh, even the lowest leaf on the tree, will get it will get to turn its face towards the sun. You know, wow. <laughs> it's just beautiful stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it really they really embody like the biodynamic like way of doing business and growing and. And uh, and they're a slick operation too, man. I mean, they yeah. they've got uh, they've got a cupping lab in Sao Paulo that is like has filled me with envy. I mean, yeah. top of the line gear, <laughs> yeah. top of the line roastery, and um, yeah, I mean, it's it's really cool. I, it's I have to say, cool. Brazil is like a really impressive country. It's yeah. it's really cool if you can if you could ever get there. I highly recommend it. I don't plan on traveling ever. <laughs> Never. No. You know how help me deal with make traveling? One, I'll make one trip, and that's going to be to maybe Sweden. Sweden? Yeah, and I have no idea why. <laughs> it's just existed in my mind since I was, like, 12. I'm so. de- I've never been to Europe, and I'm determined to not go to Europe until I've been to uh, Africa first. Okay. That's my goal, is to go to Africa for, before I go to Europe. got to bounce from somewhere, so... Huh? Yeah. Make that your... Yeah, I know. That's the thing. I'll have to fly to Europe before I go to Africa. I know, but I'll just like. But just don't leave the airport. I just won't leave the it airport. It doesn't count. <laughs> it doesn't People count. People that say they've been somewhere, but they were only in the airport. <laughs> They're so full of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well. But the, the only thing that helps me get through traveling is to just treat it like. Uh, I just pretend that I'm going to get digested. You know, like I go to the airport and I'm getting like going to get chewed up by security, uh-huh. and then I'm going to spend an indeterminate amount of time rattling around in a terminal and then in an the airplane. Intestines of the right, and then eventually I'm going to get system. shit out at my yeah. destination. Nice, but I don't know when. It could be and your three weeks that didn't yield. Right, you come out like brand new, yeah, right. shiny, yeah, and then, shiny uh, turd. Yeah, that's the only thing about it. Like that is the only thing that makes it tolerable because huh. nice. you never know, like. That plane is supposed to leave at, like, you know, 9 a.m. You never know when it's actually going to leave, right. you know? So, that's that help, that's helped me. You've got a good travel attitude, but <laughs> I'm, not going, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and it was at this part of the interview where um, I took a break to go outside and have a smoke, finish another can of Guinness, and uh, shit just got weird. Um for the next two hours plus, John and I just talked Robert Anton Wilson, Alistair Crowley, OTO, Timothy Leary, and way more. And I don't even know anything about that stuff. So it was, it was, uh, well, like I said, it was weird and it was awesome. Um, unfortunately, you'll never hear it. Uh, it was unrecorded. Maybe I could uh, talk John into coming back and doing an actual recorded show (laughs) telling me what he knows about uh, the occult and other strange business at hand and uh, consciousness and and all these things. I mean, I ended up perusing his library. He lent me some books to review. Um, Just really, really great stuff. So um, um, perhaps another day. That's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed a little bit of uh, Coffee Talk with John Johnson from Rising Star. By the way, you can buy their coffee through me. Just go to coffeeproper.com and hit the Coffee by Mail link. And that's it. I hope you enjoyed episode 67.
We'll talk again soon. Thanks for listening.